Yeah, what's up guys? Hey, we're back with another episode. All beats by Mr. Organic Dope. We are back with the Ape Academy podcast. Act, protect, engage. This is your host, Chase H. I am the CEO of Act, Protect, Engage. I hope you guys are having a great week so far. I think it's Wednesday. I think I get all the days confused when I'm off from work. I hope you guys are having a great uh, holiday season with your families. Today we are back with another episode, back-to-back days. I figured since I have a lot of time being here, spending time with my family, I would push out some great content, some new stuff. So here we are. We want to end 2021 on a high note. 2022, we're going even harder. So get ready. Buckers, seatbelts, hang on to your hats. We're hitting 2022 hard, guys. First things first, housekeeping. As usual, two sponsors, USCCA, United States Concealed Carry Association, the number one Second Amendment and Concealed Carry Advocacy Group in America. Please join today. Also, Bravo Concealment Holsters at Bravo Concealment on Instagram, bravoconcealment.com. They sell the best inside the waistband holsters, outside the waistband holsters, tactical belts, tactical mag pouches, all that great high-speed gear that you need, they offer. Use code 810-APE10 at checkout to get 10% off. Also, if you want to learn more, if you want to hear more from me, please like, follow, Subscribe to the podcast, and you can also find us on Instagram at a.p.e academy at ape academy on Twitter at a underscore defensive on Facebook, ape defensive solutions. All right, so sit back and relax, enjoy our subject today God's caliber. Mr. John Browning and the 1911. Enjoy. Ape. I like that. (laughs) What's up, guys? Hey, I'm back. I'm Chase. Remember me? Today's podcast is about one of the most popular, one of the the most historic, historically rich in legacy, one of the calibers that has defined the U.S. military at home and overseas in combat, and that is the 45 ACP, the 45 ACP, all right, but today... We're mostly going to focus on the background, what led up to the development of the 1911 chambered in 45 ACP. ACP stands for Automatic Colt Pistol, okay? So Colt won the contract with the U.S. military to produce the 1911, and the 1911 was actually developed, created, and designed by Mr. John Browning. Okay, so... We are going to go into all that good stuff. 
today. Once again, guys, please remember to like, subscribe, and review the podcast if you have a few extra seconds. Everything means something, every little thing. So don't think a comment or a rating won't mean anything. It goes really far, all right? We really want to move up the rankings in 2022. I want to break into new markets, so we need all the help we can get. Please support us in any way you can. We really, really appreciate it. Okay, so God's Caliber, the 1911 in 45 ACP. Now, this research is from the Browning.com website, all right? So Browning, as we all know, is the creator of the original design, the original 1911 design that was submitted to the U.S. military in the early 1900s for approval for testing. They needed a new pistol, and we're about to describe and explain why. All right, let's talk about the history a little bit. I'm a history guy. Everything has a history, everything. Every caliber, every pistol has a history behind it and a reason why it was developed. So with this iconic firearm, we need to explain and put it into context, put it into historical context. This is going to be interesting, guys, okay? So hang on to your hats. All right, so first things first, the story of the 1911 actually begins a decade before the development of the 1911, and it begins in the Philippines. The story begins in the Philippine Islands, okay? Now, I think everyone, well, I don't know if everyone knows, but the Philippines was actually a U.S. territory, okay? It's actually a U.S. territory, and there's a reason for that. So, it was during the Moro Rebellion where U.S. Marines and sailors found themselves locked in vicious, close, hand-to-hand combat with local fanatical insurgents. During these vicious battles, they really, really discovered that they needed immediately a more effective, large-caliber defensive pistol. Okay? The rifles that they were armed with were bolt-action rifles, and they were very effective. They were 30 caliber but what they learned was when it came in close, because these uh, Moro tribesmen, they were armed with long knives. Once they got close, the pistol, right? The pistol had to be deployed. And we're going to go into that. And they found out that their pistols were lacking in many, many things. Stopping power being the main thing, okay? So this is what happened. This is a brief summary. Now, all my history nerds are going to be like, well, Chase didn't go into detail. Hey, we don't have time for that. We can write a book about it, but we're going to sum it up as quickly as we can and add as much detail as we have time for, okay? So, in 1898, Spain sank the USS Maine in Havana Harbor, right? Cuban Harbor, prompting the U.S. to declare war on Spain, right? So, I mean, I don't know what the heck Spain was thinking, but hey... They started it, man. We're definitely going to finish it. So what did we do? Well, we invaded Cuba. (laughs) And U.S. naval forces absolutely annihilated a Spanish fleet. They sunk the entire fleet 
in Manila Bay in March of 1898. And this was known as one of the most lopsided victories in naval history. So Spain used to be powerful a long, long time ago. Back in the days of the, uh, you know, uh, the Atlantic slave trade and even further, further back, the days of Columbus in the early settlement of the New World, Spain was a player. But at this time, Spain was kind of a declining empire. And I don't know what they were thinking coming at us, but it was definitely a mistake. So we had to strike back. We had to do what America does and kick some butt, all right? So the Marines that went ashore, and the, the Marines went ashore and they quickly defeated the Spanish colonial government and quickly overthrew them, thus occupying the island. So once we beat up the Spanish on land, we were like, you know what? That's not good enough. We're also going to invade the Philippines, kick your butts there, and overthrow your colonial government. We're going to free the Philippines by occupying them, <laughs> which is like kind of been low-key America's policy for centuries now. We're going to free you by occupying you. But that's a whole different discussion. So that's what we did, right? So we sunk their battleships. Then we invaded them. We overthrew them on land with, with the devil dogs, with the U.S. Marines. However, the problem was when we overthrew the Spanish colonial government, we inherited all their problems, right? As usual. Very similar thing happened in Iraq. We overthrow Saddam. Guess what? We get saddled with all his issues. And then many, many compounded issues with the power vacuum. That's what happened with us. So the same Moro tribesmen that were fighting so hard against the Spanish turned on us and started fighting us as well. So the Moro tribesmen who previously battled the Spanish, they can simply continued the fight against U.S. forces. So instead of saying, you know what, you're different than the Spanish, we can be buddies, they're like, no, we're just going to fight you too because we want to be completely free. We don't need any more white folks telling us what to do, all right? So they fought against us. The Moro, they occupied the southern islands, and they were fierce enemies, okay? And they were fuel, fueled by, quote, this is a quote, a dangerous combination of religious zealotry, ardent tribalism, and potent opiates. So a common practice in many cultures, tribal cultures, was before battle, the warriors would conduct some sort of rituals, right? They would almost work themselves into a frenzy, whether it be through religious ritual, whether it be through ritual combat amongst themselves, and sometimes they use substances, whether it be opiates, uh, you know, whatever, tobacco, whatever they used, that would help them fight harder, fight longer, not feel pain, right? So the Moro were known for this. And that was one of the reasons why they were so feared by the Spanish colonial government. All right, so what happened? As with many U.S. wars, a long guerrilla campaign began, and it lasted for 15 years. Combat was conducted mostly hand-to-hand -hand range, right, where the Moros had an advantage because their, their weapons were more suited for hand-to-hand -hand combat. They're armed with long-bladed Chris knives, K-R-I-S knives, all right? And at the time, right, U.S. troops 
were armed with a 30 caliber Springfield or a 30 caliber Krag bolt action rifle. And their sidearm was a 38 special revolver, double action revolver, heavy trigger. Now, <laughs> let me tell you, 38s are great guns. And I would suggest them for beginners and for folks who, you know, don't shoot a whole lot. But when you're in combat constantly, I don't think the 38 is the best round for close combat. And the U.S. troops quickly found this out. So the 30 caliber has an effective stopping power, right? The 30 caliber rifle was fine with stopping the enemy. However, once they got past rifle range into close quarters, the 38 revolvers proved shockingly ineffective. They had very, very limited stopping power. There were numerous stories, numerous reports of Moro warriors simply absorbing multiple rounds and continuing the fight, continuing to hack and slash at the Americans. Even though they absorbed multiple rounds, there are many, many stories about this. And the U.S. decided, yo, something has to be done. This emergency got so bad that the U.S. had to dig up old, dusty <laughs> stacks of model 1873 Colt revolvers that were uh, chambered in 45 caliber. Think about that. It was so bad. That's basically like it was so bad you had to go back to the pistols that you put away. You had, to, you had to break out the old school pistols to get the job done. So these old 1873 Colt revolvers were chambered in 45, and they dated way back to the American Indian Wars. Remember when I was talking about, and if you haven't listened yet, go back, it'll, do yourself a service. <laughs> go back and listen to my podcast about the Colt revolver, about the Texas Rangers, and about some of the Comanche fights. One of the weapons that changed warfare forever, especially warfare on the American frontier, was the Colt revolving pistol chambered in 45. The original pistol was a five-shot pistol. It had a fixed chamber, right? It didn't have, uh, had a rotating chamber. It was fixed, right? You had to actually change the chamber out to reload it. But then uh, Samuel Colt, uh, Colt came up with a better design and it was a revolving chamber with six big shots, all right, and 45. So that's a lot of ammo for that era. So since the 38 Special service pistols were so ineffective against the uh, Filipino warriors, the U.S. Army had to whip out the old 1873 Colt revolvers. And these Colt revolvers made an immediate impact, and they could stop the Moro tribesmen with one well-aimed shot okay so that's what you want you want to be able to stop the enemy with as few shots as possible right you should not be shooting each enemy soldier five or six times to put them down all right one well-aimed shot should do the trick and the 45 proved itself to be a very very effective round when the person knew how to use it correctly right so Battlefield experiences against the Moros led to the Thompson Lagarde test conducted by the U.S. military in 1904. So this was a uh, famous test where the U.S. military decided that they needed to conduct an overhaul of their 
their arms pretty much. They had to really examine what they were arming their soldiers with in the field because you don't want to arm your soldiers with weapons, with firearms, with calibers that are ineffective in actual combat. Now, it might look cool to shoot something from long distance. You're like, yeah, I can hit it. Oh, this is so accurate. But if it can't stop a full-grown man who wants to kill you, then it's useless in combat. Okay? So the U.S. had to really look itself in the mirror. So what they did was they tested various military cartridges of the, of the era. They tested them on penetration, stopping ability, and energy transfer. So what they did was they used living and dead cattle as test subjects. So you figure if you can stop a cow, you can stop a man, right? Since they weigh like, what, twice our body weight? <laughs> a, uh, a full-grown male longhorn? So hey, hey, whatever you gotta do. I mean, remember, this is 1904. So this isn't, they're not like they're super advanced in their technology back then. So that's what they use. They use dead and living cattle as test subjects. <laughs> oh my goodness. So at the time, now by modern day test standards, we would probably be like, yo, this test was bogus. Like, are you serious? But back then it was a totally different time. So we had to keep that in mind. The authorities at the time concluded that any pistol or revolver that was chambered in anything less than the 45 caliber was not suited for official military use. Excuse me. So what does that mean? That means that the U.S. military would only accept submissions, right, that were chambered in 45 or higher. Around this same time, there was all type of new technology coming out. So this was kind of like a mini industrial revolution as far as firearms technology. And you see that as you get closer to the First World War, the massive leap in war technology. And I'm going to tell you what, it, it had some devastating effects on the uh, battlefield of the First World War. The tactics, like I had said in a previous podcast, tactics don't always follow tech, uh, technology, right? So tactics a lot of times lag far behind technological advances, meaning that war tactics are always trying to catch up to the technology. So there's always going to be a gap, right? You see that in the Civil War with the Manet Ball, with how outdated Civil War tactics were compared to the deadly new firearms technology of the day. Right. And around this time, it was very similar. Right. So people were discovering all types of new war technology. OK. They discovered smokeless powder. And they were also learning about this, the auto loading pistol. All right. So remember, back then it was bolt action or revolvers and revolvers were like a huge thing. That was like a really, really big deal that changed the game against the American Indians, just the revolver itself. So imagine how smokeless powder in an in a auto-loading pistol, a high-capacity auto-loading pistol also. That's crazy. That was unheard of, but it was in development at the time. Mm. Excuse me. In 1906, okay, 1906, General William Crozer of the Ordnance Department evaluated several pistol designs and guess what? Guess who won? The new 45 ACP automatic Colt pistol cartridge emerged as the clear 
favorite. So Colt, man, Colt was killing the game back then. Colt was winning all the government contracts. They submitted to the military test a design that was developed by John M. Browning. And I'm going to tell you this, man. Browning was a freaking genius. He was perhaps the most innovative and the most visionary firearms designer of the late 19th and early 20th century. I don't think it's even close, honestly. So we got Samuel Colt in the 19th century, in like the mid-19th century, early to mid-19th century. Then you got his predecessor, his protege, right, John M. Browning, who came up after him in the late 19th and the early 20th. I mean, this lineage, like the Colt lineage, is just cream of the crop. We're talking the best designers the most innovative and visionary folks in the firearms industry in history. Okay? Like, I can't, I can't state enough. I can't overemphasize how important these developments were. For anyone who loves the Second Amendment, for anyone who loves, you know, firearms and guns themselves, do some research into John M. Browning and Samuel Colt. All right? If you don't know about those guys... You don't know about guns. You need to go back and do some research because they really changed the game. It could be argued that without the Colt revolver, the Native Americans would still be ruling the plains to this day. <laughs> okay? So it changed everything. All right. Where are we here? So, John M. Browning, visionary. Browning is considered the father of automatic fire. Okay. Because he didn't just invent pistols. No, 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 no. Not just pistols. He is also the creator of the Browning Automatic Rifle, the legendary BAR, B-A-R, rifle, right? Any folks listening, raise your hands. Love World War II? Does anyone here listening love World War II? I do. And one of the most famous infantry weapons in that war is the BAR, the B-A-R Browning Automatic Rifle right, sick weapon just disgusting also he invented many 30 caliber and 50 cal Browning machine guns oh and on top of that he also developed the iconic Browning High Power which we're about to talk about in a second alright so this guy was inventing all type of stuff not just pistols he was also inventing machine guns he, I don't know how many patents he has. I mean, probably thousands. Um, yeah, so he was invented. He was the, for years, I mean, I don't know, decades, really, more than that, maybe a century. He was the leading, his designs were in the lead when it came to innovation, especially on a military level, right? So back then, like, guns were mostly developed for the military now guns are developed you know just for for the civilian market for military for law enforcement but back then it was mostly military and then you know obviously individual civilians had guns too not many right mostly rifles and shotguns but back then it was all military focused which is crazy that's pretty cool all right so we're gonna take a quick break right now quick break it's a lot of information. It's like drinking out of a freaking fire hose. I'm just sorry. If I'm talking too fast, I'm super excited. It's a cool subject. So we'll be back in a flash with more about 
Mr. John Browning, Ape. Quick musical interlude. <laughs> I like to break my voice up a little bit, man. I don't even like hearing my own voice for that long. All right, Beats by Mr. Organic Dope. Thank you, sir. Genius. He's another genius that I know. Although I don't know John Browning, but still, I wish I did. Wish I could pick his brain. He's probably like a super nerd who just like talks in code. I have no idea what he's talking about. Anyway, all right, let's talk about the Browning High Power. So. What is the Browning High Power? Only the most iconic firearms design in freaking history. <laughs> I answered myself. The High Power is the first successful high-capacity auto-loading pistol, and it is the military standard for sidearms. Okay? Let me repeat that. The Browning High Power is the first successful high-capacity auto-loading pistol design intended for the military and is the standard for military sidearms. Okay? Browning design was based on the principle of short recoil. Short recoil of operation. His submission to the U.S. military trials was a, quote, magazine-fed, single-action, semi-auto pistol, with both a manual and grip safety that demonstrated a level of durability, simplicity, and reliability that no other pistol of the era could match. Let me repeat that. Quote, Browning's submission to the U.S. military trials was a magazine-fed, single-action, semi-auto pistol with both a manual and grip safety that demonstrated a level of durability, simplicity, and reliability that no other pistol of the era could match. So there was nothing out there that was anywhere near John Browning's design. They just weren't on the same level. Okay? At the time, it was really, really far ahead. It was ahead of its time, and it easily won the trials. There's a story, right? So, obviously, the U.S. military, when they do trials, they shoot the guns a lot. And they're looking for anything, right? They're looking for any type of failure. They're looking if it's uncomfortable. They're looking if it falls apart. They're looking how reliable it is, how durable it is. If the design is sleek. If it fits with the combat load of the troops at the time. So, the U.S. military looks into all types of stuff. There's a story that out of six... Now, this is, a, this is a session that was overseen by Browning himself, right? He was present. Out of 6,000 rounds, Browning's pistol did not malfunction a single time. Not one time. And it got so hot at one point that it had to be dunked in a, in a jug of water to cool it off. <laughs> so they were just blasting that thing. It must have been so fun to shoot, especially for the time. I mean, now we're used to 
really, really cool guns. But back then, it was probably blowing people away, like literally blowing people away. So out of 6,000 rounds, it, there wasn't one failure to fire, one double feed, one hang fire, nothing. It shot perfectly, which is dope. So the U.S. actually intended the cavalry to be the primary combat users of the pistol, right? The cavalry was where the Browning high power was going to go. That, those were the first troops that were going to get it. So the U.S. Army intended that the cavalry get it first, and the grip safeties and the lanyard loopholes that were uh, implemented in the frame were, like, mandated for cavalry. And this is mostly because back in, you know, obviously now cavalry back then were actually riding horses. I, I don't want to insult anyone's intelligence, but nowadays cavalry does not ride horses, so I'm not even sure if they're really cavalry or not, but... I'm just kidding, guys. That's an old infantry versus cavalry joke. Um, I don't even know what the heck they're riding. But anyway, uh, cavalry back then rode horses. And, you know, when you're in the saddle a lot, there's a lot of moving around, a lot of jolting, a lot of, you know, bumpiness, right? So the grip safety was key for them because they did not want to shoot their horses by accident. That would defeat the entire purpose of the cavalry. Also, the loopholes, you know, prevent, you know it prevented the gun from flying off in some crazy charge, right? You could secure it with the loophole that was built into the frame, right? So you could loop it around your gear. In the Army, we call that tying things down, right? Tying everything down. So that, that was, you know, I'm going to tell you a story. You had to tie down everything. And if a private, <laughs> if he lost something, like if he left his, like, let's say, he left his canteen somewhere, or he left, God forbid, he left his nod somewhere. Uh, a lot of team leaders like me, we would make him tie down everything. Tie down his helmet, tie down his gloves to his pants, tie down his canteens, tie his boots to his legs, tie his like his glasses to his face. Like everything he would be he would have uh just rope everywhere and it would be hilarious. So that was really important for the cavalry to have those two features, the grip safety and the loopholes and the lanyard loopholes. They loved it. All right. So it was formally adopted by the U.S. Army on March 29th, 1911. And from then on out, it was called the Model 1911. Ooh, it all makes sense. For anyone who didn't know the, the, the story behind it, I just did a quick 30-minute bumbling and fumbling history of the 1911 the u.s navy and the marines officially adopted the 1911 for combat and for military use in 1913 okay just in time for the first world war and i want to say that in 2022 we're going to tackle the first world war okay i can't even say it we're going to tackle that we're not going to tackle the whole thing because it is a freaking massive subject okay so that concludes today's podcast. I like to keep them anywhere from 30 to 30 minutes to an hour. No longer than an hour 15, an hour 30, mostly because my voice goes out, but also because I want to keep people's attention. But I just want to say this. In 2022, we're tackling some really, really dope topics and some really, really sweeping, grand, huge topics. All right. So 
bear with me, guys. We are going to be discussing some really cool things, but I want to look at it from different perspectives, okay? I'm going to put a lot more of my own personal observations into each podcast because I'm not going to just regurgitate information, right? I want to also give you guys my kind of unique take on things. At least I like to think it's unique. Um, as a historian, as a student of history, and we can look back with hindsight on a lot of the decisions that were made during you know certain huge historical events and we can look back we can analyze and we can look at the effect that it has today a lot of these things that we're going to talk about in 2022 we're going to talk about the civil war and reconstruction we're going to talk about uh some of the world war one topics right world war two all right these are big topics we're going to talk about the roman legions the advancements that were made under the Roman emperors. We're going to talk about a lot of cool stuff. We're going to talk about the Mongols, the conquest of the Mongols in Central Asia and Europe. All right, so these are big topics, and we're going to link them in and try to relate them to modern day. How did it affect the world we're living in today? Because you always want to relate it to the world that we live in today. All right, guys, that's my rant for the day. That's my uh, my rant. My freaking rant is over, I promise. Tomorrow, we're going to do another episode. I think we're going to do part two of the 45, the 1911, and the 45. We're going to finish it up. I'm pumping out content. I'm trying to get as many videos and as many podcast episodes out before 2022. And since I'm off for a few days from work, this is the perfect time to brainstorm and to get all this new stuff out. Remember, guys, please rate, review, and subscribe to the podcast. It goes along freaking way also follow us on ig ape academy if you need to search for it a dot p and it'll pop right right up ape academy also on facebook ape defensive solutions on twitter at a underscore defensive all right we're also gonna launch a youtube channel in 2022 and i don't know when so don't quote me on it we're gonna figure it out all right guys oh also, Patreon. <laughs> if you want exclusive content, training videos, which I love doing, full-length training videos, not the short clips that I post on my Instagram, check out the link in my bio on IG for my Patreon page. Please support us. We love you guys. Also, there's a shop that's going to come out in 2022, the Great Ape Store. You like that title? Great Ape Store. Anyway, all right, guys, we love you. Thank you for listening. Shout out to all my international folks. Remember, put God and your family first. Stay positive. Don't let anyone tell you that you cannot do something. The sun will set and the sun will rise again the next day. Keep your head up. Keep pushing through. You can do anything you put your mind to. God bless y'all. Stay safe. Ape. Thank you, Organic Dope. Tune in tomorrow for part two of the 1911 and 45 ACP podcast. Eight.